Likutei Sichas, Chelik Chav, Volume 20, the first Sicha for Parshas Bereshis. This Sicha, the Rebbe will explain uh, that which is brought down in the first Rashi on the Torah. However, this is not your quote-unquote typical Rashi Sicha. Rather, the Rebbe will explain how what Rashi says applies to our Avodah Hashem. Just as a short introduction to familiarize, familiarize ourselves better with some of the concepts that are brought up in the Sicha. First of all, whenever there's a question in the Torah, let's say in the Gemara you're learning a question, or in a Medrash, the question itself is Torah. That means the question itself needs to be studied. It's not just the answer that needs to you know, receive our attention, but the question itself means that it's a proper logic and is true according to the Torah, even after the question is answered. Another thing that we should be familiar with is Klipas Noiga versus the three klipas. Now, klipa means that you have generally things that are negative, we'll call them the negative forces in the world. You have what's called klipas noiga. Klipas noiga means, it's as, as it's brought down in Tanya, as it shines. There's a some illumination that protrudes, so, so to speak, through the shell, which means that they have good in it. It's not revealed good. It needs to be brought out, but it is possible to be brought out. In other words, Hashem gives us access to it, and when done in the correct manner, meaning when it's used in the right way, those things that could have gone to the side of Klippa are now elevated and become full, uh, let's just say full shine, full glow, Kedusha. Versus the um, things in the world that come from, that stem from, the three Klippos is the three absolutely impure Klippos, those are things that the only way we can deal with them is by negating them. Why? Because they do not have any, so to speak, redeemable qualities. We cannot elevate them. It's like total darkness there. Another thing to familiarize ourselves with, uh, with is the idea that the Chachamim say, the sages tell us, that when someone does proper tshuva, tshuva mi'ava, from true dedicated love to Hashem, then one is able to take even this doinois, the felonious acts that one did, those things that are so terrible, that are so negative, and transfer, transform them, they become converted into zachiyas, into merits. Let's get into the sikha. So on the Pasik Bereshis Baralikim, the very first Pasik which says in the beginning Hashem created, Rashi brings the saying from Rabbi Yitzchak that says, quote, the, wor- the, the Torah did not have to begin from here, rather it should have started from which is chapter 12 in the book of Shmois, in the second book of the Torah. Why? Because that's the very first mitzvah. The Torah is about teaching us mitzvahs. That's where it should have begun. However, continues Rabbi Yitzchak, and what's the reason why? Posach b'bereshis. It begins, it opened up with bereshis, with the story of the creation. It's because, and he quotes the verse from Tehillim, from chapter 111, that Hashem, He revealed his, to His people His powerful works in order to give into, to them a heritage of nations. Now, Rashi explains that this is important for us to be able to answer, to counter the argument of the Goyim, of the nations of the world that say, Listim Atem, you are thieves, that you went and you conquered the lands of the seven nations. Right? How do we answer it? By telling them, listen, the whole world belongs to Hashem. Hashem told us how He created the world. And at, a given, at one time, He decided to give it to them to be custodians to watch over it. But then He took it from them and gave it to us. 
And it's justified because it's his world. Now, if you really look closer to Rashi, to Rashi look at the verbiage in Rashi. Rashi says, quote, The Torah didn't have to begin from the Reishas. By the way, in fact, there are other quotations, there are other uh, sources in the Medrash that say that the Torah didn't have to write it. But Rashi stresses that the Torah didn't have to begin with this. That means, if you want to, if you follow Rashi's logic, it seems that what Rashi is saying is that indeed the Torah did have to talk about this. It is an, an important thing in the Torah to, for us to know that Hashem created the world. However, Rashi's question is, why did the Torah have to begin with this? Why did it start with this? Instead of, instead of um, first you know, telling us some mitzvahs and then telling us, by the way, Hashem created the world and so on and so forth. So in other words, it seems that over here the emphasis is that if this would have been written in the Torah elsewhere, not in the beginning, it would not have been a sufficient counter-argument to, to, this, to this question, to this argument. But now that it begins with it, oh, now it's a sufficient counter-argument. So, the question really is, if you think about it, let's think a little deeper, that it seems from this question, so to speak, the Torah didn't have to speak about it at all. That's what it seems to be saying. Really, the Torah didn't have to mention anything about this. It's, or it didn't have to say anything about the fact that Hashem made the world and so on. But it's just because there's an argument from some Goyim, therefore, so to speak, the Torah was forced and had no choice to tell it to us. Could this possibly be? That because an argument of some Goyim, the Torah sort of finds itself obligated to discuss a certain matter, to add words to the Torah, and moreover, to put it right in the beginning? What what what? Why is why is this so important that the Torah has to address it? In other words, why did the Torah feel compelled to to address it? If anything, even if it was an important matter, perhaps it could have been given over, like many other things in Yiddishkeit, many other matters that are passed down orally from generation to generation. In fact, we find in the Gemara a story with Gvirbem Sisa when there were certain nations that came to argue. In front of Alexander uh, Mukdon, Alexander the Great, that you know the Jews stole the land and way back then, and so on and so forth, and he gave each one an answer, and he had answers which are not even clearly written in the Torah, but they were good arguments, and they were effective. So why does the Torah feel compelled, if this is what it is for, in order to shut down the arguments of the Goyim? Why does it feel compelled to write in the first place? And like we said, moreover, it seems to be the emphasis that he had to begin with it. Why is this important? It says that ever from this we can conclude the obvious that this is not just to answer, to counter the argument of some goyim, but rather this is to teach us, the Yidin, how we Jews are to go about doing our avoida, to go about our service of Hashem. It's important for us to know it. In fact, if you look in Rashi, what is the Pasuk that he's quoting? That Pasuk from Tehillim, that verse says, Koyach higid That Hashem said the power of his doings to his people. That means this is not about focusing on the Goyim and trying to answer their arguments, but rather this is about us, his nation, quote-unquote, knowing how to do and what to do uh, in our, in our, in our avoidance Hashem. 
says the Rebbe, in order to understand this, we'll look at the Biur, an explanation, esoteric explanation from the Rebbe de Tzemach Tzedek on these words where it says, quote, you conquered the lands of the seven nations. So he explains over there that what does it mean? What does it really mean on a deeper level, an esoteric level? What does it mean, this conquest of the nations? That it means, this is a reference to the fact that the Yidin, through their Avoida, they conquer these lands in, in particular, and in general, the world. What, is, what does that mean? That when a Yid, quote, conquers earthly matters, material, physical matters, and converts it into Kedusha, into holiness, to the extent that it can even become Kedush Kedoshim, holy of holies, and he can take an object that's an absolutely mundane object and turn it into something holy, it becomes a Chefza de Kedusha, becomes an object of holiness. Here is where the argument comes, Listim Atem, you are thieves. These things were under the control of the Goyim, under the control of the forces of Tuma. And here you come as a Yid, and you conquer it, and you take it away. And you not only take it away, but you actually transform it, going from something material, it becomes something spiritual. This is where the argument is, that you are thieves. And on this comes the answer, no, the whole world was created by, and therefore belongs to HaKadosh Baruch, it belongs to Hashem. And with His will, for whatever reason He had, he gave it to the side of, uh, of the Goyim, so to speak, of the Tuma. And there, we are supposed to come and take it and elevate it. But it's not theirs. It doesn't belong to them exclusively. The whole purpose, actually, is that the Yid should come and conquer it and elevate it and take it. And now we could understand the question that the Torah didn't have to, quote, begin with this. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, here's really the question on a deeper level. If you think about it, still, at the end of the day, when is a Jew in a higher level? When is the Yid, a greater Yid, so to speak? When he's involved exclusively in Torah mitzvahs. When the Yid is sitting in shul and davening, when the Yid is sitting in Beis Medrash and learning, he's doing a mitzvah, that's when he's on a very elevated level. When he's involved in worldly matters, in the quote, the lands of the Goyim, in the worldly matters, although true he is doing it in the proper manner, which means in all your ways you should know him, and all your deeds have to be for the sake of heaven. But at the end of the day, it's his deeds. It's worldly matters. He's involved in mundane things. And there... It has really a direct connection to worldly things. It's just that he's able to somewhat um, direct it in a positive manner. So the real question is, according to what we explained, that what? That since a yid could elevate it, elevates it, therefore the Goyim have this argument. Why did, who's allowing you to steal it? But now that we understand that, that, a yid, when he does Torah mitzvahs, is greater. Now we can appreciate the question that Rashi asked, the emphasis. Why did he begin with this? Because at the end of the day, no matter how great it is, this conquest, but it seems that when a yid is involved in Torah mitzvahs, that's even greater, that's even higher, it's even loftier. So why start with this? The answer is, says the Rebbe, that true, 
that this quote, the avoidas hakibush, this um, this avoida mode of conquest of taking away from the the, the worldly things and turning into kedusha, or as Chassidus called it, avoidas habirurim, the the avoid of elevating the sparks. It seems lower than exclusive Torah and mitzvahs than when one is totally detached from the world and is involved in Torah and mitzvahs. However, what is Hashem's kavana? What was His intent? What was His objective in creating the world? Well, as it says in the Medrash, that Nisava Kadosh that Hashem had a desire to have a dira, to have a dwelling place in the Tachtoinim, in the lower elements of the world. And as the Alter Rebbe emphasizes, lemato lemato that in the lowest tier, that there's nothing lower than it. And that is the answer. Furthermore, says the Rebbe, if you think about it, although it seems, at least in the revealed manner, it seems that when a Yid is involved in Torah and Mitzvahs, he is on a more lofty level. He's an, so to speak, he's on a higher point, spiritually speaking. But if you really think about it, when a person is involved in worldly matters, and there he has to conduct himself according to Torah and Mitzvahs, and there he has to behave in a holy matter, manner, that actually calls for and requires from him to tap in to the depth of the soul, to be able to, tap, to, to, to connect to a much greater resources in order to be able to overcome the negativity that's pushing against him. In fact, over there, he's on a much higher level in terms of connecting to his own soul. Because to be a good Jew when you're sitting in shul, to be a good Jew when you're in the middle of a shir of learning Torah, that's obvious. There you're connected to good. There you have that influence. But when you have a negative influence, you're out there in the world doing your business, conducting your day-to-day life, the mundane things, and there you want to be, be, be a yid, and there you want to behave in a matter that's consistent with frumkite. There is where you need to have a much greater connection to the depth of your soul, to tap into those greater resources. And now we can understand why why he began with Bereshus. Because the fulfillment of the Kavana of the Kaddish Baruch Hu making the world is Dafka when you're in the mode of, quote, conquering from the from the uh, mundane, from the nations of the world, meaning from the earthly things. However, says the Rebbe, this would seem, at least at this point, that somewhat insufficient. Why? Because from what we explain, it comes out that the emphasis of why he had to begin with Bereshis is to tell us, the Yidin, that the Avoides Haberudim, meaning this mode of service of Hashem, of elevating the sparks of holiness, is our purpose, is our main purpose, and that's what really is the, perp- the ultimate reason why Hashem created the world. But Rashi says something different. That's a good explanation. That makes a lot of sense. Why well, you have to begin with it. But Rashi adds something. Rashi says that this is in order to negate the argument of the Goyim that say, Listim Atem. How does this answer that? So the Rebbe says we'll understand it by taking a look at the two types of uh, mundane matters, or the two types of worldly matters. There is what we know as Klippas Noiga, Things or call it divrei permissible things, things that are not inherently forbidden. 
However, it all depends on the person, how the person is going to use it, how he's going to channel. Is he going to channel it to good or pull it down and ultimately bring it down to klipa? So when it comes to those matters, you have the, the, the aspect of koma sechel shemayim, quote unquote, which means all your deeds should be for the sake of heaven. That means it's your deeds, it's your ways, but you now direct it, you harness it for good, you harness it for positivity, right? But then you, that's one category, but then you have the other one, which is those things that are totally forbidden, which their highest comes from where? From the three klipos atmeis, from the three impure klipos, which although true, they do ultimately have some spark of holiness in them. There's got to be some spark of holiness, otherwise they couldn't exist. Nothing can exist without having some spark of Gdusha. However, it is so concealed, it is so covered up, that they remain forbidden. A person cannot have any direct contact with it. And the only way to deal with them, so to speak, is by negating them. The only time that they could be elevated is only in very rare instances, such as either becomes, let's say, bottle baroiv, like if you a drop of isu falls into an overwhelmingly greater amount of, of, of heter, or as we know, when a person does tshuva, zdoinois nasim gzachis, even the felonious acts become like merits. Now this latter category of the three klipas at Meya is where the Goyim have their argument and they say, Listimatim. So what? That the person did tshuva. The fact is, the Torah itself tells you that you cannot elevate it to Kedusha. The Torah itself is telling you that they are Dvarim Asurim. They are forbidden matter. How could you suddenly, through certain acts, an act of tshuva or what have you, elevate it to Kedusha? This is where the Goyim, this is where the world argues, listimatem. How could it be that in certain rare instances you could actually elevate them? Here's where the answer comes. That sins from HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem Himself, which is, who is higher and beyond even Torah and Mitzvahs. From there comes the power. That is the source of tshuva, true tshuva, which tshuva affects that you should be able to transform even the zdoinois, even the negative, the felonious acts, and turn them into zachis, turn them into merits. Why? Because as it says, everything comes from Hashem, even the forbidden things. And therefore, at the end of the day, since Hashem is the true, quote, owner of the world, even and especially those forbidden things, since His essence is beyond any limitations, any whatsoever restrictions, even those of Torah and Mitzvahs. Therefore, when somebody does tshuva in such a deep manner, they're able to tap in and reach atzmus of the Abishter, the essence of the Abishter. There they get the koyach to quote-unquote steal away even from the Isur, even from Dvaram Masurim, and convert it into good. And that's why it wasn't sufficient, as some versions had it, to just quote ask, why was it written in the Torah? It wasn't sufficient to just be written in the Torah. It had to actually start with this. It begins with this. Because this is the basis of everything. That Hashem is the owner of the world. Hashem created the world. And therefore, when you connect yourself to Hashem, then you have the power, not only to elevate those things that are typically uh, given to elevation, 
that are typically allowed to be elevated. But even those things, which are Dvarim Asurim, when a person truly taps in to that power of Atzmus of the Abishter, since the Abishter owns everything, you're able to elevate even that.